0: the long run, passivity won't pay off. It never pays off. If you want a life of meaning and transcendence, you're going to have to move. Aggression doesn't have to be toxic or damaging. Healthy aggression risks. It builds new things. It breaks through barriers. It's the key to living a life that matters. I'm Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. today. Today is going to be a good day, but some of you losers, you're just going to turn off right now. Some of you losers are going to be like, oh, that's what we're talking about. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, look, weenie boy, weenie girl, this is called the aggressive life. That means we're going to talk about things that you might not want to talk about that I think you have to talk about, that we have to at least listen to. And even, even if you disagree with what a bunch of stuff's going to be said today, I think you're going to be helped and maybe have some maybe have some fun along the way as we talk about race. I've got a guest today, his name is Rob Richardson, known to me as Rockin' Rob. He was diagnosed with a learning disability at a young age. He uh, was told by a teacher he'd never go to college and instead of stopping him, that belief propelled him to new heights. He went on to earn two collegiate degrees, electrical engineering and law, he founded the collegiate chapter of the NAACP at the University of Cincinnati. He served nine years on the university's board of trustees, eventually becoming the youngest chair in the university's history. For almost five years, he's hosted Real Talk with Rob Richardson on Cincinnati AM radio, it's a show featuring politicians, community leaders, public policy experts. He just wants to push people beyond the status quo. And Rob invited me to have a conversation with him. So we're, we're doing something we've never done before. We're having actually a, a, a joint podcast uh, for both of us. Rob reached out to me and said, hey man, stuff is not good racially. Why don't we just talk? I said, Rob, It's a good idea. It sounds like an aggressive move and I'll just apologize ahead of time. I could caveat everything I say, Rob, with, well, some white people say this. Well, I've heard some people say that, I might say that sometimes, I might be speaking for myself sometimes, I might not be speaking for myself sometimes, but I think the main thing is, maybe for you and I to to say things to each other that maybe we only say within the circles of our own skin tone. Absolutely. I I think that's very helpful because it's a real conversation,
1: so, We're about that on Disruption Now. We want to have conversations that make folks a little bit uncomfortable because you can't grow if you always want to be comfortable. I think those are diametrically opposed
0: forces. So, yeah, I agree agree with you. Rob, maybe I'll just, uh, why don't you you take the chair first? Why don't you take the podium first? Uh, Just help us understand what do you think is going on with us in our country racially and why?
1: There is a uh, major pandemic in this country, Brian, and it's been hard for some people to accept and understand because they can't see it, uh, so they don't believe it's real. It's been something that if you haven't gotten sick by it, if you haven't been infected, if you haven't been affected by it, if it's not something that directly uh, affects your family, people are able to to pretend like it doesn't exist. And I'm not talking about COVID-19, I'm talking about racism. And so we're able to, people are able to live in this world where uh, it's not real. And, and there, there is a belief by people. And I understand the human reason why they have this belief uh, that racism is something that is exaggerated, uh, that doesn't exist, or that, you know, just those people of color or black people are making up. Um, no, that's generally kind of the diagnosis. I believe we have to be spiritually and scientifically self-aware Uh, I think that's part of our job. And as I I described it in the way of kind of how the language of COVID-19, because it's very similar in that people have been able to social distance themselves from racism within their circles. And then when incidents like this happen, there's usually like, oh, well, this is just that one rare incident um, and this is unusual and it's not that bad. Or what did that person do uh, to deserve what happened to them Because that's, right. you know, if there's a lack of self-awareness There's not an understanding that Okay, it's easy to take a shortcut In your mind about what you yep. Already believe, so the fundamental Let me say, but I'll let you go uh, The fundamental uh, Of a of, of, uh, question and I guess Challenge I'm going to put out there, it's going to be very controversial But I'm going to say it uh, I believe everybody's racist And I have a reason for saying that And I will dive more into that but I want to hear your point of view cuz I've been talking a lot and I'm going to go more into well, that cuz that's a loaded stuff.
0: I think you bring up something really good that especially I think white people need to understand that we do. Whenever there is a shooting of an African American, whenever somebody gets roughed up by an authority figure than an African American, there is always a search to find out what that person did wrong. There's always a oh, who, okay that person got fired by their, from their last job. Okay, okay, well then they, then they deserved it then. I mean, it's, like, it's like we're looking for justification for why that happened. Instead of asking ourselves, can I ever remember a black authority figure beating up a white person under questionable circumstances? Can I ever remember a white person ever saying that because of my race, my life is harder? Uh, I'd say no, we don't have any of those stories, yet we see that regularly in the non-white community and anybody I know, anybody I know who isn't white has stories to tell about how their skin tone hurt them. Rob, why don't you give us a couple of yours? I don't even know what they are, but i sure he got them, you might, and us.
1: Yeah, I do, I have too many of them, uh, but I wanna, I'm gonna uh, follow on your point Every single, particularly every single black man you know, from the nicest one that smiles to the CEO, to the construction worker, all of them have had a bad experience at some point with law enforcement. It's nearly universal. And everyone, I think, has what James Baldwin said. He said, like, to be conscious and to be black in America is to be constantly enraged. All of them have some rage in them. They do, because it's been, it's it's difficult dealing with this day to day, and and, and people not acknowledging that this is true. Like, we are we are not making this up. Uh, my first experience with police was in the sixth, sixth grade. Uh, I went to a place, if uh, people know this well, called uh, Brentwood Bowl. And um, I used to play video games. That's how you know I'm getting a little <laughs> bit old because I used to go, yeah, go somewhere right. and play video right. games in the arcade. Space <laughs> invaders.
0: Asteroids.
1: Right. Yes. <laughs> right. I mean, I went there and... Um, uh, the, the manager didn't like me for probably because of the color of my skin, but you know I never let it bother me. And and he he, he kicked me out. I, I think I said some smart aleck re, uh, remark. I did actually. I said I think I said yes ma'am, and I, then I left. Right? Uh, he didn't like that. You said and yes so ma'am. He, um, you said yes he ma'am. He called the police. <laughs> I did. I did. I, did, I, like I did. That. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I did. I did. And so um, and I left, and then he called the police and said that I had threatened his life. Okay. Uh, I was across the street at uh, United Dairy Farmers, and then uh, two cop cars pull up. they pull out of the car, they come in the store, they look at me and i should I should say that I was with it was several friends, all of which were white. Uh, they pointed at me, said, "You know what you did, you know grab me, and put me in the back of the car and then i 'm in the back of the car and and the officers are questioning me there my my friends run back to get my mother, so she comes up and um, She said, "You're gonna let my sons out of the car. Why you not? Why didn't you take his white friends if you thought there was an issue?" So they ended up letting me go. But that's the experience I had in sixth grade, and I've been pulled over a whole bunch of times just because I I was a black man and had to be questioned, stopped, harassed. It's happened so many times that I have. There's so many. I mean, I couldn't. I could be here on the podcast just talking about that. But what I want people to understand is, as we talk about self-awareness, when people do or evil is allowed to happen. It's because people first convince themselves that they are good. Evil thrives when people convince themselves they are doing good. And so they either act with indifference or, or, or they just let things occur. And so um, one of the examples I go to is a book by ta Coates. And there's this small town in Pennsylvania, and they write a letter to the government uh, right during the times of Jim Crow and, and right when uh, busing started and people started uh, intervening and having opportunities to live where they wanted to live. And they framed their argument like this, we are good Christian people who always follow the rules and do what's right, or, and do what's right. We just don't want black people in our area. They connected the two together. It didn't see a problem at all in that. And I, and I, and I know we still have that problem because one, we don't, we don't, we don't challenge ourselves uh, to understand. When I said everyone is racist, what I meant by that is it is a construct, it is a system uh, that has infected and affected how everybody thinks, including black people, because black people actually feel just as, uh, sometimes even harsher on Wait, other black people. there's
0: black racial, there's, there's black people who have racist issues? Absolutely. I mean, no. Like, <laughs> and, and what I'm talking
1: about is they have other racist <laughs> issues with black people. Like, it's, mm. it's it, it, because the system is so set up. So what do you mean by that, racist well, issues with black what people? What I mean is that, you know, studies have shown black people are harder on other black people because they believe the stereotypes and the constructs that have been put in people's head. It is, it is such a, it's just like, i look at it this way. Fascinating. It's like sin, okay? People that tell me that they're not racist. It's is like the same folks who are saying, like, I'm a good person. I can do it by myself. I don't commit sin. We are all prone to it. And you have to work night and day to challenge yourself. So that's the spiritual point I've, I've, I've mentioned. There's books on this, too. Thinking Fast and Slow is a great book. Resource on this, your mind will always go and default to a shortcut, and we've learned, we inherently learn by the images we see, see on the media, by the circles we keep. If uh, we learn to inherit and accept racism as a part of our DNA, and it's going to take time, and then when you have those thoughts, because we all have them, do the things you just said earlier. Like, is this something that I would do? If this was my white friend, would I have that same view? Am I being racist? It takes that. And that's very uncomfortable, which is why people don't like to do it, because people like to think of themselves as good. And that, and that leads them to a place where they can't become self-aware. So it's opening yourself up to be vulnerable enough to say, yes, I am racist because it's a natural thing. We're not talking about violent racism like we saw with George Floyd. Like that's a that's a clear example of something that's horrible and is violent. But to prevent those things, it takes steps um, uh, and, and it makes sure that we are challenging the microaggressions and that we're challenging ourselves. So it doesn't get to a point where somebody can feel him. He was on tape. Just think about this for a minute. And then I, I know I've been ranting for a minute. Um, but he was on tape with his knee for nearly nine minutes while people were pleading for his life. Right. While he was pleading for his life. Right.
0: If with a his dog, hands in his pockets. With his hands, his hand hands in his in freaking pocket, pockets. Handcuffed. Like, no
1: big deal, just chewing gum here. Right, and if a dog was treated that way, I believe there would have been more universal outrage right away than if a black man was treated that way. And the fact that he felt comfortable enough and empowered enough in our society to do that tells me we have a
0: very severe problem. Right, yes we do. You know, it's, it's worth just saying right now, and I like talking about authority figures because— uh, I think the statistics are pretty clear. I mean, uh, people of darker stintone, skin tones get a have a di- more difficult time in the courtroom. Absolutely. People of darker skin tones have a more difficult time being elected, at least white people electing or voting for somebody with a darker skin tone. And obviously, we're just talking about the some of the violence that comes at, at police officers. I, I just got to go on the record for myself and say, man, I— I'm thankful for police officers. I can. I'm just going to cut off the emails the, at the legs here. <laughs> I'm going to be getting them. I'm thankful for e- uh, police officers, first responders. The vast, vast, vast majority of all that I've right. known are amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, but that doesn't mean there's a few bad eggs. Whatever percentage it is, you probably think it's a higher percentage than I think it is. But but nonetheless, we can't. We can't just. We we, we can't just not mention. That there's bad stuff happening in police departments any more than I can mention there's bad stuff happening in pulpits. There are preachers out there that are just doing really harmful stuff. And I can't I can't get offended every time someone gets upset at preachers. I gotta be well enough to go, yeah, right. yeah, there's a lot of us out there that are very, you know, unsurly, whatever the right thing, candidate is. So I would just encourage those of your first responders. We're, not, we're probably not talking about you. I'm sure I love you. Just, just please, just try to not take this so personally and just see that we've got a macro system and I'm for you. That's what I would say to those first and responders. So am I. Rob, and, and,
1: and so am I. And here's the, but here, here, here's the challenge in that. As Chris Rock has a funny skit on this, but it's true. Sometimes comedy is a good way to really talk about the truth. He said there are some professions that can't have bad apples. We can't. We, people just don't accept... Uh, pilots being bad apples. Like, oh, we're fine having a pilot come out getting drunk and then, you know, he crashes and kills everybody. No, it's not okay. Same thing with officers. And there's a lot of complexity to this that I can get to. I think officers should be paid more, that they should have more training. uh, But there also has to be a higher level of accountability. Um, And the fact is that 99% of executions by officers or killings that are not, that I think often aren't justified, they're able to get away. The problem isn't that there's a bunch of great officers and great first responders. That's without question. The issue is the system allows the bad actors to stay there, and it and it reinforces yeah. and it continues to defend bad actors uh, out of some overall sense of loyalty to officers. So if you take a stance to say you're against bad officers, suddenly you are against officers, which is also it goes back to my earlier point: having one being self-aware. Then it goes to my next point: two challenging people who are within your circle. It, this really helped me understand it because I, I never really understood, Brian, why white people didn't understand uh, the privilege they have, the power they had. But I, I was able to understand it. You know how I understood it? Through the Me Too movement. That's how I understood mm. it. And um, I, was talking to, uh, I was talking to a female colleague about mine and I, uh, and I said, look, it seems like how things are being described, you guys are saying all men are bad and all men are evil out there. He said, no, but all men have privilege. Isn't that what they say about racism? And I got it. For men, for, for sex, sexism to stop, sexual violence, men have to hold other men accountable. For racism to stop, we need more white people of good conscience to hold other white people accountable. And that will make you uncomfortable in your circles. But I think that's how we tackle this.
0: Yeah, I maybe maybe you could find something you and I disagree with. So let, let, let's try okay. something right now to make this a more interesting <laughs> okay, podcast. No, okay, good, yeah, uh, yeah. Don't disagree with me. Okay, well, white, white privilege. Um, here's what I don't like about that term. I don't like about that term the implication that if you're white, you haven't worked hard. If you're white, you, yeah, you can just phone it in. I, I think personally... White advantage makes more sense to me because I definitely have a leg up as a white person to, for various but, – but white privilege, I mean, am, am I, are some of us too sensitive about that? Or what do you mean by white privilege when you talk about it?
1: Uh, two things. Uh, yes, I do think uh, white people are very sensitive about it, and I understand why they are. Uh, Because the natural default, the shortcut in the mind is to go towards what you just said. It's it's saying like, oh, white people don't struggle. White people haven't had discrimination. White people haven't had to work for what they have. And that is, I think, the wrong way to look at it, um, because it's about privileges being able to have a totally different experience than I have. As I went to earlier, no matter what level like I've had I've had more advantages than some of my white counterparts that I grew up with, I was blessed enough uh, to have parents that did fairly well. Uh, so I've been able to have more opportunities uh, than some of my white counterparts did. From a systems point of view, though, that's not, the tr- that's not, that's not always the same. But I wanted, from an individual, I want to break it down to a story point of view. When you look at how you and I have to talk to our, our kids, you don't have to have the conversation with uh, your son about how to deal with police in order to live. That's right. Yeah. Right. So it's a. Yeah. So the privilege in that is something that you have power in that I don't have. Got it. It, it doesn't make you better. It doesn't. It. it what, what it does is it puts you in a position to look out for those who don't have that power. I don't have as much power to check a white police officer. If I do that, and when I'm pulled over, I might die. But if mm. my white friend does it, it's a lot harder to. It's a lot harder to, to challenge the white friend, uh, and, and that's the only way we're going to really go against this construct. All of it, if I can say so, um, all of it is nonsense, just to say, like, race is nonsense at its core, and I wish it wasn't. Race is a construct that man made up to divide people against one another. It is yeah. a social construct, but but we have to recognize the construct as is there in, in order to be able to tackle the con, uh, the construct, it's like if we want to tell if we're if we're if we're talking to an alcoholic as a believe as believers in Christ, we can't tell them to not acknowledge it. And some people think uh, to deal with racism. And I've heard this argument. I think um, Supreme Court Justice uh, Roberts said this, and I'm only saying this because I think it's it, it reflects how people feel. And it sounds it sounds right when you hear it, but it's actually wrong. He said, "In order for us to." Talk, uh, to solve racism, we have to stop talking about race. that couldn't be more wrong that 's like saying in order to solve alcoholism, we have to pretend like we 're not an alcoholic. like it exists, right. it is a right. real problem, it is uncomfortable, but not acknowledging it makes it worse
0: we have a We have a program that, that we started at crossroads really really led and pioneered by Chuck Mingo called undivided that 's yes. about us. Becoming one. We actually talk about racial reconciliation. some would say, we can't be reconciled because we've never been one. We need racial unification before we need racial reconciliation. Reconciliation assumes we are one time one. We, we, never, we never have been. Um, and, and in that course, which is about getting people different skin tones in rooms, hearing about their experiences, one of the things that's, gosh, it's a, I want you to help me understand is many African-Americans who I talk to, who are, who go through that, they don't want to talk about the racial difficulty of Hispanics. They don't want to talk about the racial difficulty of Chinese. I mean, right now, man, I've got a, I got a friend who's, like Chinese, Chinese, both parents. And like, it sucks to be her, man, because people were thinking, okay, COVID-19, she invented it, she started, Chinese restaurants are getting crushed. But I I find that a good percentage of African-Americans do not want to engage at all on the other race conversations and think their story is the only story. Why is that?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. Um, Thank you for the question. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Traditionally, and this is not true in, in, in your case and how you talk about it, uh, but people have used other races uh, to water down the story of what actually happened and, and, and to not really address the core uh, historic and just the magnitude of things that really happened. And it's also been used to uh, water down solutions to it. Let me give you some examples. So when, when uh, people deal with uh, minority inclusion, you know, oftentimes everyone's included in that, and and then the conversation gets excluded for African-Americans. Certainly, if you look at the numbers, and people talk about minority inclusion, when you look at what it is with African-Americans, it tends to be very low, but for others, it's much higher. Uh, this might make it uh, easier to understand. Let, 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 let's take universities. Universities and in their inclusion numbers will include Asians, will include uh, lots of other people, and... At the end of the day, it's not the same because they will they will include people that come from China uh, that might be very well off in their numbers and say, look, we're inclusive, but they've done nothing to really improve things for African Americans. So the problem is not that we don't share a similar struggle. The problem is it tends to water down and exclude what is happening to African Americans. And Got so it. that's okay. been part of the that's been part of the struggle. So and I think the reason for that, and I was gonna to get to this later, but it's a it's a great it fits into this. How I think we solve some of some of our racial construct issues is to be more honest about the uncomfortable truth about uh, racism in this uh, in this country where it is right now and how we got here, because there we, we talk about history and we deal with race, not in a way that really reconciles, uh, uh, Brian, in, in this country. We try to uh, just move forward without context. Examples. South Africa had a race. Had a, had, a, had a truth in commission, and they made sure that they outlined all the horrible things the government did. Uh, Germany, when it dealt with the Holocaust, everywhere you go in Germany, you will see where uh, a Jewish person was murdered, what happened. In America, we pretend like it didn't happen. We run from it. And people that come into this country, when they take the test to become citizens, they offer them a multiple choice uh, uh, a version of why the Civil War happened. Civil War happened because of slavery. And so we have not come. Oh, it, was, it
0: was states' rights. It was states' right, rights. Right. So yeah, right. So we don't.
1: We don't have. When people get a real appreciation, and I didn't have this appreciation until I went to college and started reading books of how horrible and how much violence there was. This was just the hundred year anniversary just a few days ago, actually, of the Tulsa massacre, when a whole city was wiped out by the government almost and bombed. And those type, and so that type of racial violence in history happens a lot and it's not appreciated. So I think when people combine the stories, I think it would I think it would be easier in the future if we deal with that because I think actually dealing with that I- issue will make us understand how we got to the rest of the issues, but I do agree, I'm not a person that's about the oppression Olympics. When people tell me they're uh, what they're going through, I figure out ways to build to build bridges, but I also understand again all that rage that African Americans have kept in and we've had to um, it's 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 very, very, very hard, and we haven't dealt with it. And I think once we deal with it and actually tell the truth, go through the truth, and embrace the truth in all of our schools instead of
0: running from it, it will go a very long way. That's That's excellent. I think what is tiring about this conversation for me, Rob, is that it it hasn't gone away. It's not going away because, obviously, we have systemic problems, systemic problems. But it's also like um I, I I long for more more tangible concrete things to do. Okay. You know, like if, if you're if you're pro-life, which I am, I was I was adopted. Um right. so that's for people who are adopted, it's pretty it's like, oh man, I'm glad my mom chose to adopt me instead of abort me. It's it's very it's very personal. But if I'm really passionate about that there's a playbook that people have been doing, right? You, you elect certain people, you march in front of clinics, which I've never marched in front of a clinic or anything like that, but there, there's a play, there's a playbook that you do. What's the, what's the, what's the playbook for eliminating this and getting to a new place? Another great question. And, um,
1: and since you went there, I, I want to tie in. I, I think people have to recognize the problem at the beginning and I, I keep going back to that uh, and then divorce it from your identity. This is what I mean. I have a lot of I have a lot of conservative friends who are advocates for racial justice. And what we've done in this country and we'll talk a little political is that things have been so divided that it's like, okay, if I'm pro-life, it means I have to support all of this nonsense that is going on politically. Um, And what I I want to give people to is that, look, the two aren't tied together. You can be pro-life for small government and all those things and still stand up. Couple things we can do. We can work to end mass incarceration. Mass incarceration is costing us a lot of money, costs us a lot of opportunities, and it creates all types of racial divides. We can make sure we speak out when we see excessive police force and fight for accountability and and things to, to actually make sure
0: those those things happen. They should right, be you just neutral. used a buzzword. it's just buzz buzzword that yes. a lot of us a lot of us whiteies don't understand. Okay, mass in, mass incarceration. Eliminate mass incarceration. So you want to stop sending people to jail who commit crimes? What are you saying with that?
1: Yeah, because uh, that's what people hear. You're right. Yeah. They they hear mass incarceration and say, you want to make, you want to let criminals go. No, I want to have a system that is equitable, that works. In the United States of America, uh, we put more people in prison than anywhere else in the world by far. We're talking about China. We're talking about Russia people that have way more citizens, some that are totalitarian governments, yet we have more people under the control of the criminal justice system. And I believe racism, as you said, has morphed. So it went from Jim Crow and now we have mass incarceration. Give you an example. Uh, when we approached the opioid crisis, uh, people viewed it the right way. They viewed it as a a, as, as a healthcare issue, as a compassion issue, and that's how we should solve it. We can't always look to uh, just lock people up. That's not going to solve the issue of drugs. Crack cocaine. When that era happened, when the people were very different, the approach was extremely different. It was figuring out how we can lock as many people uh, away as possible, and we and we had we created laws that allowed all types of overstep. If people had any idea of what in Afri- what African Americans go through in this current moment as we speak, I. I've heard a lot of white Americans for the first time say, "We're not we're not a police state." Why are they doing this? Why are they I, I saw a young white woman from her porch get shot by uh, one of those rubber bullets cuz she had a camera out on her own porch. And this story's happened over and over again. It's happening to lots of white people now. People are saying, "This is not a police state. They can't do this." I got a newsflash. Anywhere in America you live in a black community, there is no fourth amendment rights. It they do not exist for black for a black man. A police officer could come and pull you over and search you because they just believe so. That shouldn't be so in America, in a place that we say uh, we value these freedoms. Uh, when we look at the Second Amendment, it's not applied the same way. Philando Castile, also from Minnesota, uh, was shot by an officer for telling the officer that he has a weapon and he, he's going to show him his, his, uh, his, his paperwork. He was killed for that on, on, on tape. And so we can be an advocate You can be an advocate. If you believe in the Second Amendment and you saw that happen, you should have been out in the streets, too. If you're if if you're if you're upset with the police state, we've had a police state and we've accepted this because it's happened to people of color. The reason most people are in jail because of drug crimes, not because more African-Americans don't they they don't commit more crimes and drugs They're not more drug dealers. African-Americans tend to do drugs at the same rate as the population, about 13 to 14 percent. They're about, uh, I think, anywhere from 35 to 38 percent of those in jail, and then Latinos make up a good amount too. That's because people are being targeted, and it's costing opportunity, it's costing lives, and it
0: costs a whole lot of money. Well, it's not just they're being targeted; it's the the studies have been done. If you have a if you have a judge and a you know a black person comes before having a bag of weed and a white person comes before him having a bag of weed, the black person gets sentenced more harshly. Yeah, you know, the, no the, question. Just, it's a, just the way that's it is.
1: 13 times more likely uh, I think uh, to to be I think to get to get a harsher sentence if you if you're a person of color. is it's that's the last time I think I saw the stats and it's it's real and why that matters is, you know, first you're putting people away that shouldn't be put away. I think that makes people likely to 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 be more likely to be criminals. Um we have to have a system that works and other countries don't do this. So th- there's a way to approach Policing and criminal justice reform that is more not only more humane, uh, that is more effective in in actually preventing crime. So I think when people look at themselves as pro-life, they shouldn't want to see an innocent person go to jail. Uh, And then when and then when you look at yourself as pro-humanity, as a Christian, even if people have done crimes and once they've served their time, what's the goal here? We got to make sure that they can be reintegrated. And oftentimes they don't get a chance to be reintegrated. And then that makes better criminals. So or that makes them uh, feel hopelessness. So mass incarceration is a major problem that is unique to the United States of America. And we can't solve that. We just we need more advocates. And this shouldn't be a political issue. Uh, there are Republicans that believe this and see this. And we need everyone else to see it, too. And what what I want to see is more my brothers and sisters who are Christians not just say they're not racist, but to be more anti-racist, to to make sure they're standing up for mass incarceration, to make sure we're standing up to have police accountability for the system. We're not talking about bad officers. We're talking about having a system that uh, promotes good officers and gets rid of the bad ones quickly. These things can be done. And and for it to happen, it's going to require our Christian brothers and sisters to be more like Christ. Christ was Christ, Christ, Christ turned over tables. He was a he was a fighter. He was a disruptor.
0: Yeah, that's good. Thus, your podcast is called the disruption. Disruption now. <laughs> well, I feel guilty, uh, Rob, because we're this is a joint podcast. But i i keep at, I keep taking control, no, and asking you no, questions. No. You want you want to ask me <laughs> questions or this say anything a, to me? This is a,
1: a, this is this has been good. I, I have a I'm curious to see. Often it's been the role of black churches to address systemic racism, to talk about issues. What do you think more white pastors and evangelicals should do to stand up to really have uh, to really see long term
0: change in this area? Uh, This is good. I, I I think, Rob, we've got a number of things that are changing right now. First of all, when someone asks me, hey, are you an evangelical? I go, "Well." I don't know, man. You have to define evangelical. You, evangelical used to be, when I say used to be, I mean, back in high school when I came into, came to faith, used to be you believed in the, you believed in the um, that Jesus was supposed to be in somebody's life. That was about, that's about right. It. And then like every political thing started being put on and you got to believe the earth is 6,000 years old and you've got to believe it and all that of stuff. So if someone say, are you evangelical? I have to say, well, I'll define that first. But so I think that, um I think that for those who are uh white conservatives in the church which which for the most part are the only people who go to church anymore. You know, it's 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 really interesting that these uh that are white I'm talking about. I mean the the more quote-unquote liberal denominations that have been so liberal on you know defining sex different ways and defining the, the they're, they're basically irrelevant. Like no one goes to those churches, right? I mean, they're, they're, they've been in massive, massive decline, massive decline. So when you talk yeah. about white people who are in churches, you're, you're generally talking about people who are, are somewhat conservative, at least in their understanding of classic Bible doctrines. Yeah. I think I'm seeing more change right now, Rob, than I have with anything before. Man, I just, that... I I this is this is really awful. This is just really awful to say, but it, it it might be the legacy that George Floyd did more to bless the cause of racial inequity than anybody did. It he he may end up being the Jesus of the race movement.
1: Well, because, I think I think I think you're on to something. Go ahead, finish.
0: Yeah, because he uh, f- for the average conservative white person who has some racist tendencies and and doesn't want to see that the white systems that support us could be wrong. We we just, we, we got, we have a dog in the fight, right? To right. to overlook things, right? Well, the average person looked at that like, I can't, I, ju- I just can't explain that one way. I, I can't do it. So I, I think that there's been also a, I'm hearing people be upset and talking about it who would have never talked about it before. I'm shocked, quite, quite frankly. I'm shocked, like with the blackout that happened the other day. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't find out about it till seven in the morning, and someone staff said, "Hey, what do I say?" I said, Absolutely. So I typed stuff that will put it out there. I was shocked by some of the people who I saw—church leaders of white mega pastors—who had a blackout. Their thing. And I was like, "There is no freaking way that guy would have done that five years." That's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. This is an opportunity, I think, to challenge people. Uh, As we said earlier, I think, you know, you can't grow and be comfortable. And while I believe this happened in this moment, because you and I don't believe in coincidences, we believe in God. I think this happened at a moment where everybody had to be home. Everybody had to see it uh, to make us pay attention to the inequities, to make sure that people really understood that this this is serious. We have to remember George Floyd was a series of uh, uh, of tragedies like this in the last few weeks, yes, right. This is not like yes. that we caught on tape. Ahmad Aubrey just jogging down the street. He was thought to be a suspect. It wasn't even police officers. Random people that pulled <laughs> pulled him over Gosh. And,
0: that, and killed him for jogging. And the, here here is the outrageous part. There were no. I'm, cho- I'm just laughing. I'm laughing at myself because like I can hear all the white people just to, to discredit discredit every situation. And you right. can't discredit these things. You that's, can't. And that's why I think God is
1: saying, listen, look. What you saw happen in that Ahmad Arbery case that I want to point to that we have to change is that no one was going to be charged. No one was. It was two months that existed for two months. People there were the tape was out there and the person who taped it thought he was thought that would clear him. That tells you how infected we are right now with racism, the cloud that that is put over people. And we have a lot of work to do. My hope is that people will see this moment and rise to the challenge. What are the pushbacks you get, you know, behind closed doors when, you know, you're talking to white conservatives or it doesn't even, I want to say this because there are just as many racist liberals as there are conservatives. They just talk differently about it. That's my perspective. <laughs> I, I, I do right, believe that. Right. Here's why. Because you look yes. at all the cities, I can say this right now, and I think this is something your intentions, you, I've heard you say this before at uh, Crossroads, God doesn't measure you by intentions. He measures you by what you do. We get measured by our fruit and the fruit on both sides to me, are failing on this. So my hope is that this becomes that, that and I know this is Pollyannish and it's probably not gonna happen immediately, but at least in this moment, racial justice should not be the political issue. That shouldn't be in your political context. That shouldn't be yeah. how you tie yourself to something. And you have to be willing to challenge people. So we need to challenge Republicans. If you're a Republican and you're a conservative and you hear this nonsense, this is not what conservatism is. Like, and we have to be able to challenge that. And when liberals don't do it, you challenge them too. But people have to be willing to challenge themselves in their, in their circles. So my question, <clears throat> what pushback do you get, particularly when you're dealing with white folks? And how do you approach the conversation when you talk about these things?
0: Uh, well, what I get, the two ones I get the most frequently is whenever I talk about it, I'll be accused of guilty white man syndrome. I yep. get that one very regularly. And then the next thing, the other thing I get was, you know, criticizing first responders. So I've got to go back and say, no, I don't feel guilty for what I have. Right. <laughs> that's not why I feel these ways. And and what we said earlier about, I, I love our police officers, but there's a percentage of them that's bringing pain. So I got, I got, I have those conversations again and again. And people will, people will bring those objections up and I say, I, how do you even bring that up i i don't i can't understand what the what the hell I just said to make you think that I believe that they're it's like they're 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 just looking for some reason to be offended the the, the other the other thing that is just such a bummer rob and i i'm sure you feel the same way is you know when the when the looting starts and when you know when people are breaking windows and so it's it's like the it's like the discredit card immediately it's like i have my mind open to a racial conversation i saw and and then when that happens it's like okay wash my hand forget it this is this is ridiculous and they just they just opt out and that that's what bothers me about the violence and destruction that's happening in the wake in our in our cities yes isn't just that those are Business owners and people who are hurting, but it distracts it's the conversation. Actually, It does. It totally does. It 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 gives people who are in power, those who are white, um, it gives them or us a get out of jail free card for why should we shouldn't be right. talking about this. We should be talking about how they're destroying personal property. Yep.
1: And 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 that's a that's a good point. Uh you know, Dr. King brought it up often. Uh, but the part that folks don't focus on with Dr. King is you know, when you talked about people coming together and I want to have a conversation about reconciliation and unity, Uh, you you know, Dr. King, um, I'm going to paraphrase him, but he says, you know, peace is not the absence of tension, it's the presence of justice. And I would say unity is not about the absence of tension, it's it's the presence of justice and it's the truth. And so folks want to be in a situation where they feel comfortable, like looting is wrong, no one's defending that. But I want people just to sit back and Think about how folks viewed the same people, how they viewed uh, protesters, you know, protesting about COVID-19 with AR-15s, a lot of times yelling in people's face, um, and how somehow we managed to, you know, no officer managed to go overboard, no, no, one, no, one, no one got shot.
0: Wait, you're saying if a black person had an AR-15 out in public that he would be given a hard time? I find that hard to believe. Yeah, yeah just a little bit, right? <laughs> I mean, if the protesters, for the, uh, for the most part, for the most part, the
1: protesters are peaceful, but if protesters in mass were coming up in AR-15s, imagine what the narrative would be. The narrative yeah. then, uh, when, when those protests happened where these were the most American people, the, the narrative now is we need to shoot the looters. And another point I want to make is that, that how people even view that, Brian, if your view is uh, it's horrible that black men are being executed, but why are you guys destroying property versus it's horrible that people are destroying property, but we got to stop the killing of black men. People are prioritizing the wrong thing. Like it's looting is bad, but that's that's not the problem. The problem goes back to uh, the, ju- the lack of justice. Right. And so getting people to understand that. So that's my question. So how do you respond when they say that stuff and they say those things?
0: What is your response? yeah what i what I do is I say, okay just just imagine for a moment that that person was white, then how would you interpret let's just imagine for a moment you had a skinny ass armed black cop that had his knee on the neck of a muscular white man for ten minutes pleading and he choked out okay just what how would you feel then
1: yeah
0: just imagine just imagine if you were unjustly treated and you were gathering down in the middle of a city, how would you interpret it? I, I I just keep trying to put that on the other place. Because, again, for those people who look like me, we can't imagine a black authority figure giving us a hard time. It's, yeah. never, it's never happened. It really happened. It, it
1: ha- happened once in Minnesota, by the way, because an, an officer of color shot a young uh, white woman, and guess what the defense was? He went to jail. It's one of the few times the officer went to jail. You can look up this case. The prosecution's case against the officer was, how can this young woman in, in a pink shirt be seen as a threat? That will never be the case. They, you can never use that as an argument for black men because we're inherently seen as a threat. Mm, yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, to your point, I have another question. Yeah, go ahead. Fire away. Let's say, um, let's t- you had a note to your younger self about this right now. Take yourself to that moment. And what would you tell your younger self now based upon what you know?
0: I would tell my younger self, just like you shouldn't come to convictions on geology until you talk with geologists, don't come to conclusions on race until you talk to and have genuine friendships with a bunch of people who don't look like you. Because until you know people who don't look like you, you don't know the racial situation in our country. It doesn't matter what philosophies you have. doesn't matter how many well-educated people you read. Brian Tome, you've got to get some friends with different skin tones, genuine friends. And you've, you've got to understand their lens of perspective before you have any clue what's I, going I on. I
1: completely agree. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable that's how you move forward. That's how you grow as a Christian. That's how you grow spiritually. And I really appreciate this conversation. And uh, really, uh, Brian, hope we can do this more. You've been a great, uh, you've been
0: a great guest. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's been great, Rob. This has been this is, it has been good. I, I, I appreciate your candor and your your generosity of wisdom. I'm wondering if at least for here in the aggressive life, if we could end this the way I do other the way I do other podcasts. That is with a lightning round. Are you ready for a lightning round? I now it's gonna be a different lightning round, because I'm just making this up as we go. You and I gotta go ping-pong back and forth, one-sentence things to do to improve the racial situation in our country. And we'll see who times out first. You're probably going to win, but that'd be fun. I
1: uh, might not? Okay. not. Okay.
0: All right, so I'm first. Lightning round here goes. Um look at your look at your text thread and see if one of the last 20 people you've texted with is a race other than yours.
1: Learn history in a way that challenges you and makes you uncomfortable, particularly from a point of view that's not written by the majority.
0: Next time you send a thumbs up emoji, use the thumb color that's different than yours.
1: Every time you think to yourself that uh, I'm not a racist, understand that, that intel makes you more likely to be vulnerable. Challenge every single thought about racism, and don't. D- oh, yeah, I'm that's sorry, that's, that,
0: go. that's not lightning, Rob. You're starting. You're getting to sermonizing. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. okay, go ahead. I started serving. I can't help it. Yeah. Ask somebody who looks different from you what movie you should watch. Parenthetical statement, not part of lightning round. You did this with me two yeah. year, was two years ago. Out of Compton. I had, z- oh yeah. I had zero, zero interest in Out of Compton, zero, and I enjoyed that movie and got a lot out of it. So thanks. That, that, that's my next one. How about you?
1: Challenge your circle when you hear, and you and you hear things and see things that you know are not right. Challenge it, even if it's uncomfortable.
0: Uh, oh, sh-
1: crap, you're
0: probably gonna win. Uh, <laughs> I don't like you. All right, go. Go to somebody with a different skin color and just ask them to have a beer with you someday. Uh, Don't think
1: because you have black friends or you're married to a, a black person that makes you not racist. Continually make sure you are you are improving yourself. It's not enough to have one friend or be married to somebody.
0: All right, you win. You win. Good job. Good job. <laughs> good. I can do this for a while. a lot of examples. I know you could. It's probably, it's probably indicting that I can only get six or seven in there or something like that. But uh, I appreciate your grace, your candor and patience with, uh, with an old white salt like me. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you, brother. If someone is intrigued with what you're saying and they want to follow up with you, they want to, want, they want to hear more of what you're doing. I mean, how can somebody engage with your content? Uh, they can
1: find me on almost all social media. Most of it's at you can actually do at Rob for Ohio, R O B F O R Ohio. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. You can also find me Disruption Now. Uh, Disruption Now is the name of the uh, of the podcast. I have a website, disruptionnow.com. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube on Disruption Now. We have we make it a video show as well. So you can find me Disruption Now on YouTube. You can find me at Rob for Ohio on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I'm very responsive uh, and tend to answer all, I will answer all emails, even if I want people to, I want to encourage people actually, those who disagree, uh, thought I said something out of line to challenge me because I need to be challenged too. I'm not right a lot of times, and I accept that
0: uh, that's part of self-awareness and growing. Rob, you're a good man, and you've pushed us in some really good ways. I'm thankful for you, I'm thankful for our friendship, I'm thankful for the role that you're having in the, in the city in which I reside. And for everybody else, you have just come to the end of an aggressive life. Hey, do do yourself a favor. Have a conversation like this with other people. Don't just toe the line on what everybody else says of your own skin tone. Get out there. It's a big, wide, beautiful world. Talk with people. The process, you'll be aggressive and you'll have a better life for it. This is Brian Tim. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening.